0: Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Richie, oh my God, we've found a real-life entertainer (laughs) from Newcastle United from the mid-90s.
1: We have we have Keith Gillespie, uh, and what a treat. I know I've said this a few times about previous players, in particular Borough Ones. This chap could be the nicest guy in football. What a lovely man. Tell me, Ketch, how did you find him?
0: Well, because I'm so brilliantly connected in Newcastle United circles, I have appeared on another podcast, the True Faith podcast, which is a popular fanzine amongst Newcastle fans. And Keith is a regular on that podcast. So I reached out to Charlotte Robson, who is one of the the people who puts together that podcast and she edits the True Faith fanzine, which is a fantastic fanzine, Newcastle fans, check it out. And... I said, do you think Keith would fancy coming on the show? And she went, yeah, he'll, he'll definitely do it. This is before I've even spoke to him. <laughs> so uh, she passed on his number and he was like, yeah, no problem, mate. Happy to do it. Couldn't have been nicer about it. So, you know, I was in dreamland, WhatsApp and Gillespie through the week, and we did the episode, which is fantastic. We'll get onto that in a bit. It is brilliant. He is probably the nicest man I've ever spoken to in my life. Um <laughs> but Richie before we discuss more about Keith I wanted to say we've had a bit of correspondence. No, from our listeners. Wow, okay. In previous episodes I've spoken about my Michael Bridge's pen. You have? You know, one of the one of the most famed pieces of 1990s football memorabilia. And Infamous. I appealed to the listeners. Yeah, still smells of his aftershave yeah, 25 years on. Um and I said listeners, do you have any rubbish bits of 90s memorabilia? And we've had a few messages. You're joking. We, no, no, we've had a, an email from a listener called Dan Sheridan. Ah, oh, hi Dan. who have been in touch with us. So Dan says, she- hi, guys. <laughs> hi guys, great podcast by the way. Just in answer to the most bizarre '90s football memorabilia question, my suggestion is my pair of second-hand Nike trainers from Alan Nielsen's house. Of <laughs> Spurs. So this is great. It's a great start. Yes, Alan Nielsen of Spurs. Dan goes on. Working at the local fire station, my crewmate also had a part-time window cleaning round that included Alan's house in Loughton, Essex. One day, my mate walks into work with an old sports bag and a pair of trainers salvaged from Alan Nielsen's skip. What? (laughs) (laughs) Not, (laughs) Not to be put off, I took them off his hands as a Spurs fan and proceeded to use them to play volleyball during the station PT sessions. (laughs) The detail. I must say, they lasted a few years more and were quite comfy. The story gets better. Years later, I am now working in Dubai, where Alan is now living. During a UAE, Spurs supporters meet up to watch a Tottenham game. In walks Alan, and I relayed the story to him. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought a pair of second-hand trainers would be a talking point all those years later? And he sent us a picture... You're kidding. ...of him and Alan which I'm going to share on our social media pages. Oh, and the trainers? Uh,
1: the trainers aren't in <laughs> oh, shock, no. which
0: is, you know, <laughs> that would have been the icing on the cake, but we'll we'll take this anecdote because it's absolutely fantastic. I'm going to share the picture of Dan and Alan Nielsen on our social media. Dan's given us permission to do that. And he said, loving the show. I may be the number one listener in the UAE. Ah. Maybe the only listener. All right, Dan. But <laughs> I'm spreading the word. And honestly, right, Dan has since stayed in touch, he's actually connected us with a player. No way. Uh, yes, he has. I'm not going to say who, uh, but we've can contact I, can with a player. Can I have a guess? Uh, go for it. Have one guess.
1: Is it Alan Nielsen?
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually, I mean, that's a good point. Nielsen's in the book. Uh, so if, if he does see Nielsen in the UAE, we'll, we'll have to, he, he will get it, because he's actually connected us with a, a player who doesn't live in the UAE. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say who it is, but we've made contact with him. The interview is booked. So,
1: Dan, thank you. You're pulling up trees for us, son. We really wow. appreciate your efforts. I can picture Alan Nielsen's sticker in the book. and I, th- I You'd be hard-pushed to find a neater footballer. So the fact mm. that he's put his trainers in a skip shocks me. I don't know about our listeners, but I'm picturing an empty skip just with one pair of trainers neatly positioned right in the middle of the skip.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't um, rule it out. It's brilliant. So then there's, there's two, two other bits that we've had through as well. Someone called Martin Pett. He said, I own a stud from Ian Rush's boot. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's, all, that's all he said. So I said, come on, you've got to tell us about this. So he went on to explain. I was at Anfield for a charity football event. I must have been 10 or 11. Rush and Barnes were captains of the teams. After the event, it was a meet and greet and lots of photos, etc. I managed to ask Rush if I could try on his boots and have a picture in them. Afterwards, I asked if I could take a stud to remind me of the day. What? He was happy to. Finding a stud key was the hardest part, but once I managed, I put it in a NatWest money bag, and it's remained in there since that day. Oh my God!
1: <laughs> Sealed with the smell of that era as well.
0: But that's, when, that's a great, that a great piece of memorabilia. Really? Do you know
1: why that's great? No one wears studs, or do they? Exactly. I've been a mouldy's no, no man since 1994. Mm, but it's like hybrids now they wear. I don't even know if you can remove them. It feels very rugby now having removal studs. Mm. I could be wrong. Rush's mm. stud. This is that's great. Right. This is great. Yeah. So he's rescued a stud. You, might, yeah. you could call him it's, Martin oh, great. Martin Pets Rescue. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh,
0: that's here that's it is. a shame. Um, <laughs> but like that's genuinely class. To, you know, and then great thinking. Ian, can I try your boots on? Great. You're wearing Ian Rush's boots.
1: That's mm. unbelievable. Why hasn't he run away? Then, that's the question.
0: Can I just have a stud? Yeah. And Rushy's went, go on then. Mm. And there you go. You own a, you own a bit, of, bit of 90s football history.
1: Can I just interject here very quickly? Because you reminded me of something, which is yeah. from about 2005, me and a few uni pals and my loving wife go to Craven Cottage to watch, It's you know, they do soccer aid each year at Old Trafford or Wembley. They have warm up games to Soccer Aid, so we've gone to Fulham to watch a warm up game, which is England against Scotland. Scotland aren't featuring in Soccer Aid, but they put a team together. And afterwards, everyone apart from John Barnes walks along the side of the pitch and shakes hands, take fo- takes photos, which is a mixture of celebrities and players. And my wife's got pictures with David Seaman, Jamie Redknapp, one or two others. I've got pictures with um, David Gray and Ben Shepherd. <laughs> I don't know how that's happened. By the way, but Gaz what you were. No, you were more. You were more for those pictures. I don't know. Like I, I don't know how it's happened. I'm fe- well, Only now like, you're in the picture. Yeah. Anyway, Gaz is <laughs> playing. Oh. Yeah. So Gaz walks by, and I'm like, wow. Okay, this is my chance. And I think well, I'm just going to speak to Gaz. See if I can get something off him. So I say, hi, Gaz. Um, uh, uh, can I have your shin pads? he's like ah, no, I need the Need them for ultra mitt. Something like that. <laughs> I didn't even think to ask for a photo. Ugh. So, I'm John saved John. on my old computer. I've got this picture of David Seaman, my wife. David Seaman's head is 14 times the size of my wife's. Red nap. Mm. I do have a picture of me and John Barnes. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. Outside the ground, because he refused to take photos of anybody. He just stayed in the middle watching. Uh, he's on his phone in the middle of the pitch. He no. refused to take pictures. So I saw him outside the ground and I've ran and I've just given my phone to my wife and said, just snap any picture you can here. And I've jumped on his mm. back. I've sort of jumped on his back and she's got it. What? Have you never seen this photo? I think right. No. Okay, I'll show. You jumped on Bond. You've I haven't. I haven't Bond sort of. I sort of jumped up next to him, but it looks like I'm sort of mounting him somewhat. Right. So we need this.
0: We'll share this on social media. Yeah. So
1: the reason I bring that up is you credit don't. to the last chap who's managed to get Rushy stud. because I asked for Gaza chimpanzees. I was unsuccessful, and I've come away absolutely empty-handed. The fact that he's managed to mm-hmm. get a stud is is something. That's brilliant. That's
0: brilliant. So thank you.
1: To Martin mm.
0: and Dan for, for those fantastic stories. Yeah. Let's talk about Keith Gillespie then, because mm. um, I can say this to you now, but I was nervous going into this. I knew Newcastle player, and I I think you can tell it takes me a bit to get warmed up, but once once I find my rhythm, then you know oh, so the questions uh, start. There's no stop. There's no up, stopping We get really into deep deep Newcastle detail, which I absolutely love. Yeah,
1: I think um, I knew you were very excited. The fact that you were texting me saying how buzzing you were days before told me somewhat. I felt really sorry for you actually because once again your schnaggle internet let you down.
0: <laughs> well,
1: yeah, it did. It did.
0: I think I know what I think I know what the problem was. But yeah, my internet was dodgy and I was hosting the Zoom mm. so that Gillespie's audio. So we actually lost a few anecdotes from the early Man United stuff. To mm. talk about Steve Bruce and stuff like that, which was which was interesting. We lost that, but we picked up some absolute gold later on uh, because I had to, in true 90s style, dial in. Mm-hmm. And Gillespie was so patient with us, wasn't he? Like he was, he was, like, yeah. he was just yeah, waiting there. Yeah, sorry for the internet. And, yeah, and then so we stopped the Zoom. <laughs> yeah, which is like mortifying. <laughs> I dialed in. Mm-hmm. The other, the other thing, which was pretty embarrassing, was I was sat there in full Newcastle Street. <laughs>
1: not, not on camera, <laughs> and then
0: dialed in, not on camera. <laughs> so he was probably thinking, you know, what, what's
1: going on here? Well, I, I don't want. He, I, he did. I don't want to break your heart but um, me and Keith were obviously left on the video conference just ourselves with your name as the third person and he was just he was shaking his head he was touching, he was throwing his arms in the air he wasn't happy with what?
0: you that is not the Keith Gillespie me and you both no you're no. right you're right he was the nicest man in the world sat, he was just sat there having a cup of tea chatting I think he broke Higgy's record he did. for three hours he did, yeah. I think we went over three we hours did. which is, speaks volumes mm-hmm. so he got us say, enjoy this one it's,
1: it's part one Let's stress that yeah. as well. This is a two parter. So good it's was the interview um, and such a relaxed listen. Unlike our previous episode, where you've got to, you know, put your hands over your ears and, and hold your breath, this is just pure Irish silk coming out of Keith Gillespie's mm-hmm. mouth. So enjoy.
0: The patient, gentle entertainer, Keith Gillespie. Joining us today is one of the last of a dying breed, an out and out winger who always whipped it in, so to speak and gave fullbacks absolute nightmares. He appeared on page 83 of the 1997 book, sticker number 350, and had a key role in a team who played a brand of football that was so exciting they were nicknamed the Entertainers. It's an honour to give a big, shiny welcome to Newcastle United's Keith Gillespie. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, Keith, what we do with uh, all of our guests is we ask them to name the other stickers that were on the page in the 1997 annual. So we're wondering how good your memory is this is the 1996-97 season. There's 16 players to get. You, you're obviously one, so do you want to have a go? So Shay Given? No, too early.
2: <laughs> no. no, it's a good start. <laughs> oh, 96-97, ne- sorry, right, yes. Uh, Pavel Surnacek? Pav, yeah, of course. Uh, Shaka Heslop. Yeah, you've got the two keepers. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, Warren Barton? Too early for Warren, although he, he didn't have a sticker, so he is technically in the book, but he didn't have a sticker. John Beresford? No. yeah. Steve Howie? Yes. yes. Rob Lee, of course. David Batty, he does. He does have a sticker.
2: Les Ferdinand, yes.
1: This is a high standard you're setting here, Keith.
2: Steve Watson, no. Yes, yeah. he is. Yes. Yeah. Darren Peacock, yeah. Yep. Darren Peacock's there. Lee Bear? yep. I'm many more of a got to get. <laughs> um, you're
1: missing one, two. I think you're missing a winger and a defender. A winger
2: uh, and a defender. Um, I was going to say Robbie Elliott, but yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Robbie, yeah. No, I don't like it. Yeah. This guy,
1: this guy was worth it. Let's just say that. Oh, did I do not say Janola. I don't think so. I thought I said Janola. No, oh, if you did, I apologise. Yeah,
2: I'm sure I did. I'm sure I sure said Janola. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: I think that's a false. I
2: had, I had yeah. said Janola you know, because um, I was oh. actually trying trying to think who the other wingers were apart from myself and him. Oh, apologies <laughs> if I missed that. <laughs> No problem. But you, but you know what? That's the, that's the best performance we've had so far out of
1: anyone doing this book. So oh, we, right. one thing that's evident in these pictures is how white the kit is. I don't even notice that catch. It's the, it's, the kit, it's the kit with the three buttons and the Newcastle brown ale. And it's so, so fresh like linens. It's a real thing of beauty now the thing is you always walk long sleeves in a long sleeved grander
0: neck adidas home newcastle shirt and the away one as well which I've got over my right shoulder long sleeve is the holy grail so it's a, it's, a, it's a shame I would have been prepared to pay a lot of money for
2: that but yeah it was it was just it was sort of like a wee bit like a superstition of mine I always wanted to wear long sleeves I, I promise we're not going to just ask you about kit but I've got one more question <laughs>
0: I thought you 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 were a fantastic player to look at your style your speed the way you moved around the pitch you always tucked your shirt in at the back had it out at the front was that another superstition
2: it was a little bit yeah I, don't, don't ask me why but yeah but I, I've been asked that sort of question before so I've honestly no idea why I did it but yeah a little bit out at the back or tucked at the front a little bit at the back no <laughs> no no reasoning behind it whatsoever Ketch, it, says
1: more, it says more about
0: you, Ketch, that you realise that than it does about <laughs> Yeah, I know. Do you want to ask a sensible question, Richie? We need to, we need to crack um,
1: on. <laughs> obviously, you started your career with Manchester United. How did that come about? How did you get spotted? Talk us through that.
2: Um, you know, basically, I was playing for a team back in Northern Ireland and I got invited to go to the Man School of Excellence, which I would have went for sort of training every Wednesday night. Um, and then after a while, the um, the the scout uh, based in Belfast for Man United thought I was ready to go over on trial. I was I was thirteen years of age, um, so made my way over on on a Easter holidays um, for a week. And to be fair, I, I thought it did okay without being spectacular. Uh, but you know, at the end of that week, you're sort of getting wait you're you're waiting to get called into Sir Alex Ferguson's office. You know, mm-hmm. to to find out if. If you're going to be invited back or, or or not, pretty much. So as I said, I thought it did just okay. But he said they want me back. He says they wanted to sign me uh, on schoolboy forms, which you had to wait until you're 14 to sign them. Uh, but with a guaranteed press. Um, so you know, I was a Man United fan, so I you know I couldn't sign quick enough. And um, I knew then at you know, although I was sort of 13 at the time, I knew when I was going to hit my 14th birthday that I. I would be signing and then it was up to me when I was 16 to go across and then try and make the next step. So obviously
1: you were part of what's well known now as, the, as a class of 92. When you arrive on your first day as a pro player or as a scholar, as it would have been, did you know any any of your teammates? Did you come across them before um, at all?
2: I knew most of them, um, you know, because from, from between the ages of 14 and 16, I was going over um, for school uh, school holidays, you know, Christmas, Easter, the summer, um, you know, and I would have seen a lot of them boys, um, the likes of Beckham and Nicky Bott, Gary Neville, uh, Paul Scholes, um, you know, Ben Thornley, you know, some some really good good players. So we we did know we did all sort of know each other before we. Uh, before we rocked up to you know the first day of of, of training to be, you know when we became an apprentice, so um, even sort of my last year before leaving school, would have flew over on on Friday evenings, you know, to play in the beats. You know, at that time it was a team and B team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a team or B team, then a team, and then the step up then was reserve. So I would have fl- flew over to play in uh, in B team games. Um, as like a fifteen year old. So um it was just all about getting ready to, you know, to go and try and make it as a as a professional footballer then.
1: So when you're training with, with these young players, the likes of whom you've already mentioned, the Beckham's skulls, butts, Nevels, is it obvious at that time that there's some real talent on show or you as a teenager yourself, you've got nothing to judge it against, I guess?
2: Nobody sort of could have foreseen, you know, what was going to happen to that team or or, you know, those players. Uh but, you know, certainly um you know, we're as first year apprentices. The, you know, the likes of you know Beckham, Skulls. Think about Gary Neville, Ben Thorney, John O'Keehan, Chris Casper myself. Um, as first year apprentices, you know, it, the Youth Cup is 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 the 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 team you want to get in. But you've got second year apprentices, you know, that you're up against as well. So um, to be fair, the majority of us got into that. Youth Cup side and and we obviously won the Youth Cup that year so um, I think the fact that it had been quite a while since United had actually won the Youth Cup and Mm. you know there was sort of you you knew that people around the club were talking about this team Um, you know the first team even especially when we had sort of A-team games at at the cliff the training ground and you know even sort of injured players who would have been there on a Saturday morning you know could have just left and gone home, but they would have always sort of stayed and watched us. And, um, mm. you know, Alexia, Brian Robson's people like that there. And um, so, yeah, we, we, we didn't really have anybody. I, I didn't have anybody to, to, you know, put it up, you know, pair it against in terms of how, how good we were at that time. But mm-hmm. as I say, we were certainly aware of, of people talking about us um, because of how well we were doing. Keith,
0: there's an amazing picture that we've got here. Which is of the famous class of '92. It's like a bleak Manchester uh, afternoon. It's, it's raining. You're all sat there with your Copper Mundials and you've got your Puma Kings on. You're next to Paul Scholes, who looks about nine years old. Beckham's in there, Savage, Chris Casper, Thornley. There's no goalkeeper. I don't know what. what were you that good? You didn't play with a keeper?
2: <laughs> you know, that was probably the one position that, um, you know, we didn't sort of have. Um, you know, I remember actually there was a lad um, from Northern Ireland who would have flown over four games, but, you know, wasn't on the sort of books. You know, it was a, it was a real strange one. You know, well had sort of every other position covered, but a goalkeeper um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, you obviously had goalkeepers at the club who were apprentices, you know, and, you know, would have played. But uh, in terms of, you know, signing professional contracts, you know, out of the group that we have, um that didn't happen. Um, you know, the goalkeepers didn't sign professional contracts at the club.
0: So let, let's talk a bit about Alex
2: Ferguson in, in the dressing
0: room. How did he communicate with you? What was he like talking to young players versus old players? D- did anyone ever test him? I imagine you saw a few hair dryers in your time. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. I mean, he was, he was a scary character. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, and you just, you didn't want to step out of line because, you know, you knew then that if you did, you were, you were for it pretty much. Um, you know, I didn't see too many sort of hairdryers in in the dressing room because, I mean, the the club was going through a sort of successful period at the time, and you know, he didn't need to do it. But um, you know, it was one of them. You just, you sort of knew. You um, at the training ground sometimes. You know, when he was coming down the stairs from his office, and you could just. You'd know whether he was in a bad mood or not, and you just knew to stay out of his way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But he was—he was great with the young players in terms of, you know, how he brought us through. Um, you know, we—we we trusted him. I mean, in terms of when I signed for Newcastle, he, he acted as my agent that night as well, um, and done the contract for me. Wow. Um, you know, so there was there was a lot of trust there in him, um, and we trusted that he was doing the best for us. You know, we signed when we signed professional deals. You know, none of us had agents. You know, we all signed the same contract and we he was the one who came up with the contract. We just trusted him that, you know, this was the right contract for us. And none of us was gonna, you know, go and knock on his door and go, by the way, we don't think this is good enough. You know, we're probably too, you know, too frightened to uh, to do that. And you know, even then, you know, we, we, we signed contracts on on you know, it wasn't it wasn't great money. We were you know 230 pounds a week as a as a professional then but you know we trust him because he um, you know we, we knew ourselves that you had to sort of you know become a more of a regular to then go on to that next sort of bracket of, of pay but you know we were we were just happy to sign you know the professional forms, and and you know we just wanted to get it done as quickly as possible, and all eight of us signed on the same day. Did Fergie take an agent's fee then when you signed him at Newcastle? <laughs> he did. He didn't know, but uh, he he told a he, he told a few fibs um, to Newcastle in terms. Of, I think he said I was on six hundred pound a week at the time when I was only on it was two hundred and thirty pound a week for the first year. Then we went up to two hundred and fifty pound. So we're on two hundred and fifty pound a week at the time. So he uh he told you know we white lions said i was on 600 at the time you know just to get me a better just to get me a better deal at uh, at newcastle just to get one over on kevin keegan yeah well he tried that he tried that again obviously in the 95 96 season where, where Kevin wasn't too happy but you know as i say when when i was signing for newcastle you know it was it was midnight when i when i rang home the you know this is before mobile phones, I rang home to to speak to my mom, and Alex Ferguson spoke to my mom and asked permission. Would it be okay if he did the contract? You know, and she trusted him, um, and I trusted him, and you know, he got me the best deal that he could. That is, that's just
1: crazy, that isn't it? I just don't see a modern day manager being that involved in all aspects of the club. It's just not a thing anymore.
2: No, exactly. You know, I mean, it, it sort of just happened that quickly, you know, because I, I turned up that night and we were playing away at Sheffield United and I played the previous league game and I thought I was starting again. And, you know, with a quick two-minute conversation with Alex Ferguson, I'm now thinking about leaving the club. Mm. You know, so that's how quickly things can sort of change in football. The
0: the night that the news broke that Andy Cole was being sold, Kevin Keegan famously came out onto the steps of St. James's Park to explain the decision. Were you inside St. James's Park at the time doing your contract?
2: No, I had... Um, I had just left the ground. I had I was actually staying I wasn't even staying at a hotel that night because we knew maybe there'd be a lot of press about that. So I was actually staying at the chief executive's house, Freddie Fletcher. Um mm-hmm. I was I was staying at his house that night, but I, I you know, I seen the footage obviously of of Kevin coming out on the steps and you know again that sort of thing wouldn't happen today, you know, with managers coming yeah. out and, and explaining to the fans. And I think if you actually watch it, you know, you can see that the, the fans are are not happy. Um, and, and, you know, Kevin just, you know, actually turned around and says, look, this is the way I I see us taking the club forward. You know, you have to trust me to do that. And you can actually see them then, and, you know, they, they calmed down and, and they, they were pretty much okay then. And and then you have to look, six months later, we brought in Les Ferdinand and a year later, we brought in Alan Shearer. So he obviously hadn't... Hmm had big plans.
1: Did you ever get scapegoated or targeted as an object of like a subject of that of that deal? Did you ever get any you know have any beef with any Newcastle fans because of it?
2: No, not not at all because you know I wasn't I wasn't brought in as a direct replacement, obviously for Andy Cole. Um the the thing for me, you know, being them sort of make wake in the deal, you know, the, the most of the pressure was probably on Andy Cole because of the, the transfer fee and what have you. And the the thing that I wanted to do was was just get out there and play and hit the hit the ground running, and I was able to do that. So, you know, I remember my debut was wet, Chever Wednesday. I come on at halftime, and you know, done really well second half. And then my next game was Wimbledon, um, and I remember getting the ball. You know, I don't think many of the Newcastle fans would have known that much about me. I know I scored against them for for Man United, but. Um, the first time I got the ball after a couple of minutes, you know, my game was all about pace and getting to the byline. And I remember just two minutes gone and and just skinning the fullback, getting a cross in. And, you know, I I could just feel that the the crowd were with me then, you know, from the off. And I think it's, it's so important going to a new club that, you know, you do get the the crowd on your side straight away. And I think obviously with wingers, you know, wingers, you know, there's not many about now, you know, Teams don't play wingers, but, you know, back then, you know, wingers got the crowd on the edge of their seat, you know, and that's what, you know, Newcastle, you know, like to see. They like to see attacking football, you know, especially, you know, when we have myself and then Janol on the left, they like to see great wing play. Mm. Um, You know, so as I say, it was important that I came into the club and and, and hit the ground running, as I say. It's funny
0: um, uh, that you talk about you have the power really to derail the deal with Andy Cole if you didn't fancy coming to Newcastle. Ferguson gave you the option to say no. We mentioned we spoke to Craig Hignett, and he was doing a deal with Aberdeen where a player called Martin Bullock was involved in going up to Aberdeen as part of it. And we know you played with with Craig Hignett and in 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 the office. Craig Hignett said to Martin Bullock, "It's not great up here. I don't like it. <laughs> I want to get away." And, and and Martin Bullock pulled out of the deal, and it cost Aberdeen I think two hundred and fifty grand. <laughs>
2: All oh, right, I didn't, I didn't know that Higgy's a Higgy's a great lad. You know, great lad down around the dressing room. I was lucky enough to play with him at Blackburn and Leicester, but he's a he's a fantastic lad, and you know what a good player as well he was.
1: Mm. We we um I texted him to say that we were interviewing you tonight, um, and he responded. What do you think he said about you?
2: Oh gosh. <laughs> Uh did he call me Bestie? No, no. Um, oh. <laughs> Well, best was my nickname, you see. So, um, gosh, I've I've no idea what he said.
1: Okay, so he said, um, obviously, we played together at Blackburn, roomed together for a while, and he said something about that he consistently beat you at pool.
2: <laughs> no, he's definitely lying. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, myself and him were the with the two best players at Blackburn in terms of the pool table. We were never we were never off it.
1: To be fair, I've made one of that bits. He never said he beat you. He said that you two are the best two players, but I thought I'd get a reaction out of you. (laughs) (laughs) That checks out, then. That checks out. It does, yeah. Okay, listeners, that is half-time of Keith Gillespie, part one. I hope you're all enjoying Keith so far. We certainly are. Um, But I am very, very excited to announce... That Matthew Cornelius Ketchell has finally gotten round to unwrapping some of his stickers, so we are now in a position, after however many ep- episodes it is, to actually do some swap sketch.
0: Yeah, buzzing. I've I spent oh, two nights putting doing the stickers. Did them all in one go. I had to recruit my uh, fiance Christina. She had to help me out with this. Uh, Top sent us a whole box of stickers. So you know those boxes you get in the newsagents. Sent us a box of those, 50 packs of stickers, 10 stickers in each pack. A couple of interesting observations while uh, Christina was helping me do this. One question she asked was, how come this guy was born in 2016? Which uh, (laughs) she was looking at uh, the year he made his Champions League debut. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: Other things I noticed that uh, I was opening the, the system we had was I was opening the packets and Christina was stickering. Opening packets is so much more fun than stickering. Stickering is boring. I hate, it, st- I hate it, stickering. It. Uh, but then I, I forgot about the hack you told us, whereby the back of the, car, the back of the sticker is split, so it's yes. easier to peel off. So I, re- I realized that on night two of our stickering session. Oh, recession. Matthew, I knew you so were listening. Was happy that I remembered, but un- unhappy that I had had wasted twenty-four hours previous. Yeah. The other thing is, what does POF stand for? Playoffs. Uh, POF, right? So it's about. I yeah. Should explain that at the back of the book. there's about hundred stickers of players who featured in the Champions League playoffs mm. in the group stage so a lot of those happening do
1: you know um, what that? that is so annoying because I I didn't know what it stood for it's so obvious and I spent so long looking it up going on Twitter mm. and then my wife told me does it not mean like the sort of qualifying rounds or the playoffs like, <laughs> oh my god she's right I think it does say in the small print somewhere can I just say catch before we move on you have omitted some detail um, from the people that were helping you with the stickers oh yes yes well, not helping. helping.
0: Time. He was he was hindering, really. Me and Christina have a pet hedgehog. <laughs> it's called. Wait, It's called Howie. He's named after Steve Howie. And I was really hoping that we were going to get Steve Howie on this so that I could show him Howie on camera. Steve Howie has said he doesn't <laughs> want to be on the show, which is a bit of a blow. But the best yeah. thing was when we when we got the hedgehog. And I will say, it was Chris, Christina was mad for the hedgehog. I wasn't very keen, but now he's here, I absolutely love him. He's class. But when we were thinking of names for the hedgehog, I was like throwing in football, loads of footballers' names. And she was having none of it. I was saying like Hayden, after Isaac Hayden, who's one of my favourite current Newcastle players. And she was obviously unbeknownst to her that he is a current footballer. And then mm. I said Howie, and she was like, oh, that's cool. So we went with Howie, and then maybe about a month after we had him, she was like, is he named after a footballer? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but we got, Howie comes out at night because he's nocturnal. So it was Mm. getting very late. It was getting towards midnight, so we had Howie out in the living room. And Mm. uh, I just put him on the table, see what he thought of the stickers, and he was just slipping all over and messing them up, so I had to get Mm. him out of there quick because it was getting a bit stressful.
1: And like his namesake, another prickly character. Hello. That's two two puns. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing shade at Steve Howie there. Sorry, Uh, Steve, but you did turn us us down and you're not listening. So anyway, right. So today what we're going to do is I... I get to go first because I've been waiting so long. Um, We're going to try and fill my book here. So I've got what I need. Ketch has got a bunch of swaps in his hand, and we're going to try and get through this as fast as we can because I'm conscious that for some, this could be mega boring. Not for us, (laughs) but for some. Yeah, what percentage of the book do you think you need to complete? About 15% probably.
0: Okay, so let's start in England, shall we?
1: Well, I can tell you exactly how many stickers I need, if that helps.
0: Uh, Yeah, because Richie's done a... Richie, I, I need like 82 the, stickers. Yeah. Like the spectacle-wearing guy he is. He's done a spreadsheet.
1: Oh, yes, boy. He's
0: done a spreadsheet for his swaps. You got a problem said. with that? Well, hey, it's boy. not very 90s.
1: It's not, but I spend a lot of time with data at work, so <laughs> it just makes sense for me to do a quick spready. I do love a spreadsheet. So, come on. Let's England. get through some of your stickers, then. England, right, got, right here I've we got got go.
0: Two David de Gea's. Don't need them. Oh. Andy Robertson. Nope. Gundogan
1: Need. Oh, yes. My God. yes. That is great. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Start. Need Gundogan Jesus. Uh no. Joe Gomez. Hang on. It might be quicker if I just tell you what I need. Okay. I need I need Liverpool from Liverpool, I need the one to watch, so they're sticker number two. I need Oxide Chamberlain, Mane and Firmino I've got bad news. Okay. From know. City, we've already mentioned Gundogan I need Nathan Aki Nope. Who may as well be the water boy there, he never plays. And from Chelsea, I need Havertz and Tammy Abraham. Oh, bad news. No? Oh, okay. All right, give me another country.
0: Austria. <laughs> Salzburg. Pfft, you're you joking. Any, you need any Salzburg? Uh,
1: Salzburg.
0: Red Bull, Salzburg. Oh, no, they're P- I've got these are POFs. Apologies.
1: Playoffs. Oh, i see. seen... Ne- okay, so playoffs. I don't have the club. Oh, I should have written them down, shouldn't I? I've only got the numbers for the POFs. Um... So what? give me a number from Salzburg, What roughly what number 39. are they? 89. I need 32 and 41 in that kind of bracket. Nah, don't have those. I mean, you've picked a strange... To go to Austria second is quite a weird choice.
0: Well, I just thought they were just in front of me, so... Okay, okay. what about... I've got some Olympiakos playoffs. Give me a number,
1: roughly numbers. I've got
0: the... They're in the 60s and 70s.
1: Okay, 63, 68, 70.
0: Oh, I've got 70. Get in. Rafinha... Raffina. Oh, well, Leeds, Rafinha. No, uh, Bayern Munich. Brazil. Oh, that, that fellow,
1: like the right-back stroke, centre-mid. Yeah.
0: 70. There you go, you've got two.
1: Get in there, OK. France. Right, OK, France, here we go. I need two PSG, Kimpembe and Verratti. I've got I've got Kimpembe for you. <laughs> I'm loving this. No Verratti, okay Kimpembe's there. I'll take him. Uh, Marseille, I need Nagatomo and... Got San. Oh, my God, this is fantastic. Sanson. Got him. <laughs> okay, uh, from uh, Rennes, Grenier. No. Okay, uh, that's it for France.
0: Okay, that's
1: all right. I'm very happy with how this is going. Germany, okay. i Munich. Got a oh. lot of German swaps yet. Okay, I've got three from Bayern. Zerxy. Mm-hmm. not Was seeing it? him. Okay, Leroy Sane. Uh, yes. Get in there. And Kingsley Coman.
0: Yes. Oh, coming.
1: This is sensational just completed,
0: just completed buying it almost. Mm. That other
1: yeah. Um I've only got one Dortmund and that's Thomas Delaney. You need
0: Thomas Delaney. Yeah.
1: Um, the Danish wonder. Thomas Delaney No relation to Damien Delaney. No, I don't have him. No, okay. And then I have three from Leipzig. Yeah. Um Adams. Whose first name escapes Adams.
0: me? Tyler Adams, he's the American guy.
1: I don't know. Can't remember. I don't have him. Okay. Pop. Unkunku. Nah, I don't have him. And Danish striker Poulsen, the big fella. Don't have him. Ah, oh, it's a wounder. I'm not good. And then one from Munchen Gladbach, which is funny enough. What we're doing right now, Plea. mm Hmm. Potentially pronounced Plea. Don't have him. I know he's a striker because of his number seventeen. Okay, fine. There. Um, yeah. Okay. Holland. Ajax, I have four that I need. Dest. Nope. Alvarez. Nope. Iting. No. Dusan Tadic. Yes. Get Shiny. in there. Captain. Shiny. Oh, mm-hmm. snap. Okay. Give me another country.
0: Uh, Turkey. Istanbul.
1: Turkey. I only have one, and that is Visca. Got him. You're kidding me. No. Oh, that's sensational. Serbian guy. Okay, keep going. Mm-hmm, yeah. Another
0: country? Uh, Ukraine, Shakhtar.
1: I need three. I need the one to watch, which is the big sticker, which I can see from Zoom you no. don't have. I need Antonio, not Mikhail. Yes. You're joking. Marcos,
0: Marcos Antonio. Oh, that's phenomenal news. Yeah.
1: Sticker number 11. Okay, and I need Dentinho. Got him. You're kidding me. No. Is this a setup? <laughs> this is it's absolutely glorious. Come on,
0: we're on a roll. Spain. Keep going.
1: Spain, right. Madrid. Where's Spain? Where's Spain? Where's Spain? Okay, I've got quite a lot. Real Madrid, Carvajal.
0: Not confident, that I haven't seen him. No.
1: Tony Cruz. Yes. Get in there. And uh, Casemiro. Negative. No, Casemiro for you. Okay. Barcelona? Yeah. This is a big one. I need their badge. No. Nah. One of the very few badges I actually need. And he'll, I also need their big sticker, the one to watch. Is that a big sticker in your hand there? There's one big sticker yeah, in your but hand. It's all black. Oh no! Is it the one that you ripped? Yeah, I
0: got him. A sw- I put the ripped one in. Okay. I put the ripped one in, and then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I got him again, which is annoying. Cause Easily a Good one in. Yeah. Give you the ripped one. Ah, cheers
1: yeah. for that. Um, I need Alba from Barcelona. Yes. Get in, and yes, I need yeah. Semedo. No. Okay. Oh, hang on, I'm filling in a spreadsheet as we go here, with some classic copying and pasting. Okay, Atletico, I need one player, and that's Felipe. No, I'm not confident. This is taking way too long. I'm so sorry, listener, but it's important. <laughs> I don't have him. Uh, s- to, right. uh, Severe. 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 Okay, I need four. Kunde, defender. No. No. Y- Yorda, or Jorda. Yes. Get Yo- in. Yoan Jorda. Class.
0: Spanish
1: midfielder. He is here. Brilliant. Okay. Um, El Nezri, or N. sorry. Nope. And. The big man, De Jong up top. Yes, Luke New, De Jong. New, Newcastle's finest. <laughs> yeah. Get in. Okay, and okay. what else have you got? One from, I've got one player from Italy, Christian Eriksen. Need. Dig it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one player from Italy. Have you opened all yeah. your stickers?
0: Yeah. It's bizarre, isn't
1: it? it? It took me ages to find Italian players. Okay, moving right. on. I've got a load of Bruges players here. Bruges. Uh, okay, I need two. I need Horvath and Balanta. Oh, I don't have any of them. Okay, never mind. Um, we haven't done... Russia. Russia. Yeah, I've got a That's few. I've got. This I've got... is the last country for me. I've got two from Zenit and three from Locomotive. I've got... Okay, go, go with Z- Zenit first. Zerkov. Z-
0: yes, I've got him. Get um,
1: Asmoon. No. Okay, and then from Locomotive... This is a big one. I need their badge.
0: This old thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it looks like a Power Rangers sticker, it's class. <laughs> um, and I need. An unbelievable badge. Yeah, this, honestly, the badge stickers are so good. I need Rajkovic. No. I need Kulikov. No. no, no. Okay, well, the only thing left then, I need the Champions League logo. Haven't um, you know any Portuguese stickers?
0: Hang on. The first sticker, number
1: one. You're kidding. Yeah. I need that. Yeah, it's here. Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, you say, you it's said it's you were finished. You said you are finished. You have got loads left. That's it. Okay. I what I've got these big stickers. Okay. Well, I need. I I need well, they're the one to you. I need some of them.
0: I've got. You, but you've said you've got all your rising stars. I've got all
1: the rising stars. Yeah. Um, if it's shiny, I've probably got it. Yeah,
0: that's
1: it. My daughter's been. My daughter's been helping me with this. She's four, and when we got the oh. the women's sticker, we went ballistic together. There's one sticker which is women's, and she's <laughs> looking forward to it for so long, and it was oh. in the it was in the second last pack out of about sixty packs. So, yeah. Oh. Okay, well, thank you very much, Ketch. Apologies, listener, that was so dull. What do you mean, w- for electric listeners? Uh, I yeah. beg to differ. So <laughs> let's let's get back to the reason everybody's here, shall we? Catch. Please. Good old Keith Gillespie. Here he is.
0: Keith. Not long after you came to Newcastle, I actually met you. I went to Maiden Castle as a fan. Obviously, Maiden Castle for listeners who aren't aware. Was a facility Newcastle shared with Durham University, and it was open to the public. Kevin Keegan would invite fans to come and watch. So often, you would get three, four thousand fans come along to watch training. How did that compare with what you left behind in Manchester at the Cliff Training Ground?
2: Yeah, you you would still get you know fans into the Cliff, but you know I think everybody just knows how how crazy Newcastle people are about football. You know, it's their life. Um, so it, it was great that, you know, Kevin Keegan was very much, you know, a people person and, 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 you know, it was the fans club. That's the way he, he liked to look at things. And, you know, it, it was great, you know, for those ones who, who couldn't get to, you know, St. James's Park, you know, because we were sold out every week and it was great, you know, that they could come down to the training ground and watch us training, And you know, especially in, 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 you know the holidays, the school holidays. You know you had as much as six thousand time there, you know. And <laughs> Kevin Keegan would would ha- you know make sure that you stayed and you signed every single autograph, you know. And it was it was just such a buzz about the place at the time, you know, because obviously we're we're doing really well as a team, um, you know. And he was he was just great in terms of, I think that's why he was loved so much because he he was you know very much a person who who got on well with the fans, um, you know, and it was, it was so enjoyable, you know, down there at Maiden Castle, as you say, it was, we shared it with Durham University, you know, times have changed in terms of what, what the facilities um, clubs have now with their own training grounds. But, you know, that was, that was it. You know, we were, we were going for, for the Premier League title and, you know, we're, we don't even have our own training ground. We're, we're sharing with Durham University. <laughs> so um, it's crazy to sort of look back on it like that.
0: That's that's exactly what it was. I I couldn't get a, a ticket for the games. Me and my dad were on the season ticket waiting list, so we would go. We went to training. It was the school holidays. I vividly remember meeting you. You signed my autograph. I've, we did a picture. I've got the picture. I'm going to post that on our Twitter account. And then I remember you got into a red sports car, and someone said he's only just passed his test.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it was actually my mate's car. It was a Lotus a no. Lotus Esprit. Wow. Um, <laughs> I had actually. Um, when I, when I signed for Newcastle, like, I hadn't even had a driving lesson. I, I couldn't drive. And the first thing Newcastle did was um, was get me lessons and put me through my test. Um, so I, I signed on, uh, on January the 10th and, and passed. My, I remember passed my test on my dad's birthday, February the 16th. And then um, that was a Thursday. And then on the Sunday, it was, it was my 20th birthday, actually on the Saturday. And on the Sunday, um, I scored my first two goals for Newcastle against uh, Man City in the FA Cup. So, um, yeah, I, I I had just passed the test, so I probably shouldn't have been driving a car <laughs> like that. But um, the, we, we got club cars uh, as well. But uh, um, a mate of mine lived with me at the time, and he had a lot of spray. And I, I think it was uh, it was just more a case I couldn't be borrowed to stop for petrol in the morning to go to training, so I just took his.
0: Not a bad car though for your first motor, Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that was uh. It was it could sort of shift as as you can imagine. It was it, it's pretty much the same one as what what they had in Pretty Woman. Richard Gere was driving, so except yeah. it was red. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the motor. Great reference point. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you live in the dream, basically playing in Kevin Keegan's entertainers side and scoring goals and driving sports cars, and then in the summer it kind of goes up another level. And the Andy Cole money spent on Les Ferdinand, David Ginola, Warren Barton. I remember there was a real sense in that summer that we could do a serious title challenge with
2: these players. Is that what you players thought? And is that what Keegan was saying to you? Well, I think at the start of the season, you know, the only person who thought we had a chance to win the league was Kevin Keegan. You know, we thought we'd be competitive, but in terms of being competitive and winning the league, you know, is, is a big ask. But I think after about four or five games, I think we would be one our first four or five. You know, he had us believing that we could win the league, um, and we 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 just started the season like a house on fire. And even pre season, you could you could see you know we 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 gelled straight away. You know, and you bring somebody like Les in who who scored the goals that he did. You got people there ready. You're Rob Lees, you're Peter Beardsley. You bring the flair of of um, of Janola into that. Um, you know, it was. Uh, it was a seriously good team. Um, and, you know, the fact, it's it's something that I always say uh, in terms of, if if I had to sort of say to you who came second in the league three years ago, you, you probably wouldn't know. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but the thing about it, everybody remembers that Newcastle side. You know, we're probably the most famous side to ever come second in the league. Uh, because of the style of football that Kevin Keegan had us playing. Yeah, and you,
0: like you said, the, the fans took to you immediately. Honestly, I think Newcastle fans just love flair players. If you look at favourite players down the years, you know, you, wingers like Terry Hibbert, Tony Green, any, anyone who can, you know, knock the ball past a player and, and, and do something a bit different, get fans off the edge of the seat, is going to fit in at Newcastle. The other winger was David Ginola, which is amazing. Did you ever speak and give each other advice as, as wingers?
2: No, I, I he was actually my roommate as well, so he was, um, mm. you know, but uh, I, I just marvelled at him at times, you know, because the skill that he had and, you know, he could go left, he could go right, you know, he was both footed. Um, but I think, you know, for the first sort of six months of that season, he was just unplayable. Um, and it was great because we had Les in the middle and it was a case of, you know, get the ball in the middle, get crosses in, Les thrived on crosses. You know, I wasn't, you know, the, the skillful winger that Ginola was, but I was pretty, I was probably a little bit more direct where it was sort of just drop the shoulder and, you know, get half a yard and, and try and get it into the box. And, you know, fortunately that season, you know, Big Les got on, on the end of most of them. So, yeah, he, he was, uh, you know, he was a joy to play with at times, Ginola. Um you, you know, we had we had really good fullbacks as well because, you know, they they realised that, you know, if they got the ball to, to the wingers, you know we could do some damage. And you know, I love playing with Warren Barton because he would just bang, give me the ball, and, and get on with it. Um, the same with, with with John Beresford. You know, give the ball to Ginola, let him do his work. Um, you know, so it was uh, it was important that you had those players behind you. You know, who were feeding you uh, because if, if 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 the wingers didn't get fed, then you know Les Ferdinand didn't get the balls into the box. Um, you know, which he thrived on. So, yeah, it was, a, you know, it was a great team just to be involved
0: in. We've got to ask about David Ginola as a roommate. Did he have a, a beauty regime? Did he let you have any time in front of the mirror?
2: <laughs> no, not not much. Um, you know, you know, it, you know, the foreign players are like, you like to smoke in the room and I would have sort of taken the <laughs> mick at times, you know, pretend they're like, it was choking me or whatever, but, you know, it didn't, it, 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 it didn't bother me. He was... Uh, he was the senior player. Um, as soon as as soon as we arrived at hotels, no matter where it was, you know, he had me on on the on the phone to ring down the reception, and we always ordered cheese and ham toasties. And uh, there was quite a few there was quite a few occasions where he had, he had me ringing them back to send them back because it wasn't hot <laughs> enough hot enough for him. You know, whereas whereas it was fine for me, I would have just had it. You know, I, I couldn't be bothered with the whole palaver at all. But you know, he wanted his opt as he said he wouldn't say hot he would say up. I needed that you know and, and even when I was ordering it you know on the phone ringing the room service he would say make sure it's up." say up, you know so uh, <laughs> that was my that was my job
0: you played under Keegan for two years in that time did you ever see him use a
2: tactics board <laughs> <laughs> not not very much um Kevin's big <laughs> Kevin's big strength was uh, you, you know one-on-one um you know, going round uh, going around the dressing room. You know, you know, there was plenty of times we'd would obviously won the previous week and I remember him coming in and you know there's times he'd sort of go go through the 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 other side, but basically three minutes the, the team talk was over and then he would sort of go around the dressing room and you know he would just speak to you individually and, and you know you would feel like the best player in the world and you would go on a, you would want to go out there and uh, and run through a brick wall for, for him. You know, so his, his man management skills were just second to none. Um, and, you know, with, with the tactic side of things, you know, it, it was pretty obvious what we wanted to do. We wanted to attack. We wanted to entertain. We were, we were 4-4-2. Get the ball wide. Get Rob Lee running into the box. Peter Beardsley on the ball. Get Les in the box. Get crosses in. You know, the defenders, you know, you obviously felt a bit sorry for them at times because we were so, attack-minded at times and even John Beresford and Warren Barton were, were very attack-minded. Uh, but, you know, people sort of point to that season and they say about the, you know, the goals that we let in. But I think we, over that course of that season, we, we maybe only let two or three more goals in than what Man United did. So it's um, it's probably wrong in the, in the fact that people just automatically assume that we were, you know, we were poor defensively because long periods you know we were we were very good, but just in terms of highlighting certain games where we score three at Liverpool and we don't get anything anything from it because we lose four three. We we lost two late goals at Blackburn when we were one nil up. So um, yeah, it was I mean it was great in terms of we just we just knew what what way the manager wanted us to play. He wanted us to go and entertain. You know, so it was pretty simple as team talks.
1: Keegan obviously is a a, a massive character, and even not being a Newcastle fan, I used to love watching and listening to the sort of things he'd say what, what were the, some of the funniest
2: things that you, you saw him do either in training or uh... he, I mean he was he was he was a very jovial person around the training ground his whole training was just enjoyable a lot of five asides but enjoyable and smiles on people's faces and you know he would join in and he, he was just you know a bit of a fitness freak at times you know joining in you could see his touch and all and you know it was um, him, and, him and Terry Mack they just bounced off each other you know, great characters, the pair of them. And, you know, Terry, Terry was was an important person in that dressing room. Um, you know, he was the link between the players and the manager um, and somebody that the players really respected. Uh, but, you know, I mean, just Kevin as a whole was, was you know, he was a happy person. There wasn't, you never seen him really lose it too many times, um, be it at the training ground, be it in the dressing room. Um, he was quite relaxed about a lot of things Um, and you know as I say it was just it was just a joy to play play for Keith we're doing this
0: podcast and we're speaking to footballers from the 1996-97 season and I think we've hit upon the last generation of footballers where it was acceptable to go and drink during the week and everyone talks about it we, we spoke to Lee Dixon they were even doing it under Orson Wenger to a degree can you give us an idea of what an actual night out with the entertainers looked like because for listeners, the key side in the 90s was an unbelievable place to be. I want to know details, Keith, who organised it? Where would you meet? How long were we out for? What was the day? How many nights a week? What was training like the next day? I'm, I'm fascinated to hear this.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we always, we would never be out two days before a game. You know, very rarely three even. Um, but it was it was always organised, sort of. You know, once a month, pretty much, maybe once every three weeks, and and everybody had to go. The only person who, the only people who weren't there was was Arthur Cox, uh, Terry Mack, <laughs> and and Kevin Keegan. You know, so you had oh. physios there as well. You know, Derek Vazakari right. there. Um, yeah, you know all the coaches there, and and you you had to go. So we used to go to Uno's, the, the restaurant on the Keysite. Qu- you know, so we should yeah. be there seven seven thirty and. You know, they always looked after us in there and, and that was it. You know, you were there, you know, in terms of everybody. Then when you sort of had finished your meal or whatever, then it was up to you whether, you know, you went home or you went on, you know, to the bars. You know, or some boys, you know, turned up, had the meal, went home. A lot of us, most of us. You know, then headed up to, you know, Martha's bar, then we head down to the quayside to you know Jimmy's bar, then on to Julie's. And you know, you're there to sort of closing time. Um and and Kevin was well aware of this, but you know, we're 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 producing the goods on the pitch, you know, and Peter Beardsley was, was our captain, obviously, and uh, you know, Peter was always there. Uh, Peter was obviously had a great relationship with Kevin. Um, you know, so as I said, Kevin knew you know what was happening. Um, you know, so it was it was no problem. And, you know, that was the sort of culture then. And it, you know, we had such a great team spirit, a great bond, you know, with everyone. And um, so they were they were enjoyable times. I mean, the place was absolutely bouncing. You know, I think whenever the football side in Newcastle is doing well, everything else, you know, takes con takes control of itself then, you know, just everything is just absolutely thriving. And that's what it was then you know, because we were doing so well on the pitch.
0: Keith, searching for shinies is famously looking for players who featured in the 1997 sticker book, which was brought out for the 1996-97 season. But the season prior to this, 95-96, is still spoken about all the time among Newcastle fans, even though it ended in heartbreak. Newcastle famously the story of that season had a 12-point gap, but at the top of the Premier League. By the middle of January, I'm sure you're constantly reminded of that. Does it wind you up having to talk about it?
2: I mean, it's. I think every every one of us who was part of that squad has has regrets in terms of how it panned out because, you know, we looked like we were going to be champions. You know, we were, we were, we were box office to watch. You know, everybody wanted to watch Newcastle. That's the way it was, and. You know, I, I just think we didn't have enough experience in that dressing room of getting over the line. You know, Man United had, had won a few leagues. They had a, a dressing room that, that had been there. I think in terms of our dressing room, the only one who, who had was, was possibly Peter Beardsley, who had won the league at Liverpool. So, um, It was very new in terms of you know, going for a title. Man United came with, it with an incredible run as well. You know, we we'll have to point that out. But I mean, for me, the big turning point was probably when we when we got beat by Man United at home. You know, we were yeah. four points we were four points ahead. If we won that game, we go seven. And we absolutely battered them that night. Peter Smeckel got man of the match, and Eric Canton scores a goal in the back post, and they beat us one 0 And the, the lead is end down to one. You know, and it's a game where we we didn't deserve to lose it. You know, we we deserve to win it, but a point at least we deserve. Um, you know so you think four points ahead you know if we draw it stays four we win we go seven ahead but obviously we lost it, mm. it goes to one point and then the pressure is really on us and as i mm. say there just there probably just wasn't enough experience in that dressing room to to see us over the line i was at the game the man united one and you were,
0: weren't even on the bench for that were you injured
2: no i was i was on the bench for the for the one that we was one nil. i was on the bench that night uh, i had um I had, I got an injury in uh, in December at Old Trafford and I was out for about five weeks and they originally thought I was going to be out for eight weeks and I probably came back you know too soon you know and I I just wasn't hitting the heights of of previous to that um you know we brought Tino in then and you know when you spend seven and a half million you know you're gonna you're gonna play you know Tino um you know so he's up front with. Uh, with Les, um, you know, it was very easy for for Kevin to, to to drop me because I was the youngest player in that squad. I wasn't one to sort of go knocking on on the manager's door and and ask for answers. You know, I sort of just accepted that. Um, you know, maybe I should have done because you know I know from from myself and talking to players over the years that you know Rob Lee, for example, was like, you know, why isn't he just playing you? you know we were 4-4-2 things were going well now he's sort of upset upset the balance of the squad but instead of that Peter Beardsley's moved to right wing Peter Beardsley is an unbelievable player but he's not a right winger and he's not going to do the same thing that, that I do Peter Beardsley you know can do things with a ball at any time and create stuff but possibly not from the right And um, so I was left out for a bit and, and I was as I say I was left out that night and, and on the bench yeah,
0: I, I agree with what you say there about yourself and, and Beardsley and the differences. Batty um, arrived in March and actually made his debut in that Man United game, which I couldn't believe. Aspria arrived in February, and there's a theory that their arrivals didn't help and
2: contributed to the loss of momentum. Did you feel that? No, I don't think so. You're, you're bringing in real quality there. Um, you know, I suppose just in what we were doing with, you know, uh, a standard four-four-two every week um, where, you know, we got balls into the box. You know, possibly Peter going to the right was, was, you know, different in terms of the balance that we had. But you're bringing, you know, somebody like David Batty in and, you know, he replaced Lee Clark who, who was very unfortunate to, you know, because Lee Clark was, was a fantastic player and he was brilliant that season. So he, mm. he, you know, he could find himself very unlucky as well to be left out. Uh, but, you know, you're bringing in real quality. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of incredible now to, to sort of think that, you know, around January time, you know, we didn't make any signings, but you could make them in May. You know, if it had been, you know, uh, you know in, in this day and age, you know, you obviously couldn't make those signings because of transfer windows. You know, we're, we're signing players, as you say, David Barry signing in March, you know, two, two months before the end of the season. Which um, you know sounds crazy, uh, but you know he, he was a fantastic player. He was he was a better player actually than than I probably thought he was. You know when when I when I when, I, when he came to the club, I was amazed how good he was. You know left foot, right foot, could obviously tackle. Um, you know, and he was. You know there was definitely no blame attached to those players that he brought in.
0: We've got to talk about Tino's debut. Because it was against Middlesbrough, Richie's a Middlesbrough fan. There's a fantastic story for listeners who don't know. Tino wasn't expecting to be in the team and he actually had a glass of wine at lunch. And then Keegan said, actually, I'm going to put you on the bench, but only as a precaution. Then he's asked to warm up. Then he comes on. He megs Burroughs fullback with a drag back, sets up the winner for Steve Watson. Were you playing or were you on the bench that day, Keith? That was a fantastic day.
2: Well, he actually he actually came on for me, so <laughs> I, was probably, I think I was probably quite ineffective that that day. But um, yeah, you know, I remember his nutmeg on by the touchline, and then when he crossed, uh, I can't remember the defender, and he crossed and put the ball in for um, for Steve Watson to score with a header. You know, and the place just went mental. The fans just went mental. You know, that they were excited, obviously, that we'd gone out and spent big money on this striker that. You know, everybody sort of knew about him in European football, and you know, I think everybody sort of remembers the the pictures back then of him arriving with a the sort of sheepskin coat on the snow, mm-hmm. the snow uh, coming down. Uh, but he was a, he was a great character, you know, uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, but you couldn't have asked for a better debut in terms of coming on and having that. You know, impact straight away.
1: I remember thinking, what What are his legs made out of?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He had these like sort of elastic rubber legs, you know. And it was just a, it was just a one-off. You know, there was there was times where you play with Sino, and you know, you got the feeling that he didn't know what he was going to do next. You know, he was just uh, very unpredictable. But on his day, he was just sensational. Yeah. So
0: towards the end of the season, that the momentum's you know, slipping away, Man United, just, they just seem to win all their games 1-0, late winners, Cantona every week, I was I couldn't believe it. And by the time we reached the the game away at Leeds, Newcastle are, are three points behind and Man United have a, have a game in hand. You scored, I think you scored ahead of that game and um, we won 1-0 and then after the game, Keegan delivered his famous love it interview on Sky Sports. When did the players hear about the, the interview and, and what was the reaction in the dressing room to it?
2: Well, um, we were on the coach, and um, I think somebody had rung, rung home, um, and they some they'd been told that Kevin had, had sort of lost it uh, on on Sky. Uh, so I I never seen it until the next day. Um, but I I I love his passion in terms of, you know, he's he's Newcastle hundred hundred percent. He just wants the best for his club, and he just felt that. You know, Alex Ferguson was was at his work, and, and possibly he was. Uh, but again, you know, you, you don't get managers like like Kevin Keegan anymore who come out and, and just say it as it is. You know, he just was truthful, honest. Um, you know, and yeah, uh, you know, there's there's a bit of comedy to it, and you know, everybody knows the the interview, and uh, you know, it's such an iconic moment. Um, I think it was actually. Twenty-five years ago, last week, uh, when he yeah. actually did, he actually did it. Um, I, I, it, the, the, I always feel particularly agreed, uh by it because everybody always remembers Kevin Keegan's rant that night, but they forget that it was me that scored the winner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I say, his passion, his was, passion well. was incredible. Yeah, a header from a, a corner. I think it was headed. Big Les headed it down and I managed to sort of glance it into the net. And as I say, I had been left out of the the side in in previous weeks and and I got restored to the side. So it was nice to sort of, you know, come back with a bang and and get the winner that night.
0: Man United had to go to Middlesbrough and get something, didn't they, Rich?
1: They did, yeah. And I was there. Um, I I remember being there with with my mum. Uh, We had season tickets. And we sat quite close to the away end and we spent the majority of the second half trying to work out what the song was that Man United was singing. Can you have a guess as to what it was, Keith? It involves Kevin Keegan.
2: All oh, right, yeah. I was going to say, it must involve Kevin Keegan. Um, cheer up, Kevin Keegan. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the one, the one yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah,
1: hilarious. <laughs> I won't say we all joined in.
2: Yeah. But I'm did. sure you did. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> You can never allow, you can never rely on Middlesbrough to, to to pull a result <laughs> out for us. To be fair, it didn't matter right. anyway because we didn't win our last game. We drew with Tottenham, so it yeah. was um, it was done and dusted anyway. The Riverside was probably half empty anyway, so
0: oh, we come can on. move on from that. Wow! So as a Newcastle fan who was ten and eleven in ninety five ninety six, that was like an out of body experience listening to Keith. Talk about the height of the entertainers. He got there just as it was hot enough. Got out of there, actually, when when it, when it started to go down the pan. Love that. Love that chat. The Ginola room service story. The, the detail on the night out down the quayside. Talking about the 95-96 season, which is... Newcastle fans don't mind talking about that. Keith certainly didn't, even though we blew a 12-point lead. It was obviously pff, the peak, pinnacle of his career, probably. And I love that... Uh, I was able to get in that story about meeting him at Maiden Castle in 1995, and he sped off in a Lotus Esprit, red. He remembered the car. And I'm going to post that picture of me, him. And in that picture, I'm with another kid who I don't know. (laughs) My mom's cousin, Neil, who's actually the kit man at Newcastle currently, he took us in 1995, and that's his neighbour, who I didn't really know. So just me and him, and good lad, I was hanging out with him. But uh,
1: if you're listening, get in touch. got a picture of you, me and Gillespie. I think... What stands out from that conversation, two things. A, nobody wants to be David Ginilla's roommate. You'd feel like a shell <laughs> of a man alongside Gianella. The guy's an absolute specimen. That's A. B, you've done a few little subtle digs uh, this season, Ketch, okay, about Borough, and it's nice to know that we've had the last laugh here in uh, that we haven't helped Newcastle win the league I heard your half empty stadium jive don't worry I heard you saying there's no happening bars in Borough a couple of episodes ago league so gone. it's catching up with your the boy had gone. So league it was miles away and we drew the last game anyway so yeah, but if
0: academical
1: I know but if, but if Borough go 1-0 up in that game early on Newcastle no, are going to no, think wow we've got bad. a chance here but instead we just rolled over and had our tummies tickled although I do remember that game because in that game Beckham infamously for the Borough fans that sat in the West Stand punched Brazilian Branco mm-hmm. in the stomach or one of his stomachs anyway and he's, he's crippled over. Anyway, he got away with it. But I also remember that game. Andy Cole comes off the bench and scores with his first touch from a corner. I think Diggs scored as well. Don't remember the third scorer, but mm. they had the blue and white Cheers, game. Andy. And then we all se- We all celebrated them lifting the trophy to the yeah. other side. Oh, Steve Bruce wonderful. lifting the trophy, singing
0: Cheer Up Kevin Keegan.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> anyway, how are you doing? Let's have a little check-in with the scores uh, in terms of searching for shinies. I have found... The, uh, um, I have found Steve Chettle, Lee Dixon, Neil Sullivan, Ian Hart, uh, Steve Jones and Keith Gillespie. That's six.
1: You found two lads from Borough. Okay, let's just go first. So I've got Higgy and Madison, definitely mine. I'd still argue Chettle is mine because I got him in the net. Okay, fine. You've sent in the Zoom details, big deal. But I think we also no, need to add in... I spoke to him on Twitter. Glyn has got most of your players, first of all. That's so a contact you, that I've can, developed. In my life. You haven't developed it. Your mother's developed it. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, Steve Jones is undoubtedly minus one because the audio was so bad. Minus So minus one? Actually... Then two, two for Gillespie because we've got two fantastic episodes out. Oh, it's two of for Higgy then. So actually we're four all. So this is sounded good. <laughs> what? And, I, and Gillespie part two hasn't even gone out yet. So I'm winning. Get in there.
0: It's 6-2
1: to me. It's 6-2 to me, Listen, Absolute garbage. Anyway, do
0: you know a player from the 97 sticker book? Contact me, Matthew Ketchell and put me in touch with him <laughs> the full book is scanned on our website searchingforshinies.com check it out connect us with a player and I promise we'll send you some goodies do you have any old stickers from 1997 we want them we want to try and fill our 1997 books here uh, mine is about 5% full from so I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> struggling mate yours is in Slovenia <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met a player from the 1997 sticker book tell us a story no matter how mundane we want to know in fact, the more mundane, the better. Have you got any crap 1990s memorabilia? Is it better than my Michael Bridges pen still smells of his uh, dupe? Tell, <laughs> tell us. Contact us via the website, com. Follow us on social media. We are at the shiny pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, we also upload our episodes to YouTube. There's a few on there if you fancy a look. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Give us a five star rating. This episode deserves five stars. Oh, yeah. Review on iTunes. It just helps us massively. Mm -hmm. And if you have any mates who would appreciate what we're doing here, fighting the good fight for 1990s football, the pinnacle of British football, tell them we exist. Put a link to one of our episodes, probably not the Steve Jones one, in your football WhatsApp groups. We'd really love that. And last but not least, and above all else, Mm -hmm. Keith?
1: (laughs) Keith? Keep it shiny. (laughs) (laughs) and that's where we and that's where we drop in Gillespie I've just (laughs)
2: realised I I had a go I had a go (laughs) oh god my name's Keith Gillespie and you're listening to Searching for Shinies keep it shiny